Thanks so much, Dave. And it is such a pleasure to be with Westside Hamilton. I have been in this building a number of times for meetings, for some pastor's gatherings, but I have not been here on, for a Sunday morning service and was just so glad for the opportunity. So thank you, Dave, for inviting me to be here this morning. As he said, I work for the denomination, so I have had the pleasure just a few weeks ago to get to know Julie and Laurel as part of our FLOW internship program. In my role, I do work with equipping emerging pastors and young adults in ministry, which is such a joy. We have some amazing young leaders coming up, and it is truly an honor to get to know them and to equip them and to work with them in their journey. We're also so excited as a denomination for what is happening with the birth of Westside Burlington, and as all of that is getting started, I hope you know that as a denomination, we are cheering you on, we are praying for you, just so grateful for what God is doing in your community and the ways that you are just following his leading. So great to be here and to share with you today. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. How would you complete this sentence? My number one goal in life is. Think about that for a minute. What would you say? My number one goal in life is to be happy. My number one goal in life is to be loved. Or my number one goal in life is to be financially secure. My number one goal in life is to succeed at my career. My number one goal in life is to be respected and affirmed, or to have fun, or to retire, or get married, or have a family. How would you answer that question? It's very, very important. If you haven't ever thought it through, you need to think it through and consciously understand it, because however you answer that question is what I call your primary core value. Everybody's got a primary core value. It's the most important value in your life. It isn't your only value, of course, but it's the most important value to you. And you may have never thought it through, but you use it all the time. Every time you make a decision, every time you have a choice, you access that database in your brain and you filter your choices through your primary core value. For instance, if my primary core value is to have fun, then this evening, if I get a couple of invitations to go out, well, I'm going to choose the thing that's most fun because that's what's most important to me. If my primary core value is comfort, then I'm going to tend to choose the easiest thing to do. What's the most convenient thing? I think I'd rather just stay on the couch and watch TV. If my primary core value is safety, then I'm going to tend to make every decision in life based on what's the safest choice. I'm going to look at things through a security lens. If my primary core value is to be approved, to be affirmed, then I'm going to tend to choose things in life where I get the most affirmation or attention. So it's extremely important that you think through what is going to be the most important value in your life, your primary core value. And the Bible has something to say about this. In 1 Corinthians 14, 1, let love be your highest goal. Love. 
Let love be your highest goal, not success, not security, not keeping the peace, not independence or respect or position, not comfort, not money. He says you should make your number one lifestyle choice a life of love. And why does God say that? Make love the highest goal of your life. Why? Because God is love and he wants you to be like him. One day a guy came up to Jesus and he said, Lord, what's the most important command in the Bible? Jesus, of all the things that God has said to us, what should I really focus on? Now, this guy was someone who was really into this stuff. This was his life's work. He studied it and he taught it to others. He was immersed, immersed in the Jewish religious laws and commands. He knew it all backwards and forwards. And he asked in all of this, Jesus, what is most important? I like the question because I like to get to the heart of things. I'm a big picture kind of person, and maybe you are too. In my work and in my life, I ask the question, what are we really trying to do here? What's the big picture? What's the bottom line? So this guy is asking for the bottom line, and Jesus says, I can do that. I can summarize what God wants for you in two sentences. If you get these two things, you get it. You get what life is all about. We call it the great commandment, and you may be familiar with it. From Mark 12. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Well, that's pretty clear. It's all about love. He said, nothing, nothing at all is more important than these two things. Love God with everything and love everybody. He said, if you get those two things, you've got it. You understand what I put you on this planet to do. Life is all about learning to love. Everything else is excess. Everything else is secondary. As you go through life, it doesn't matter how much you acquire, how much you achieve, how many accomplishments you make. In fact, it's not even about how many good things you do. Notice that he doesn't say, make generosity your highest goal. I mean, being generous is good, but I could give away everything I own and still be unloving. It doesn't even say make faith your highest goal. The Bible says that you could have a faith that moves mountains, and if you don't love others, it's nothing. Let love be your highest goal. Later in 1 Corinthians, the theme continues. It's like he's really trying to get his point across. In 1 Corinthians 16, 14, and do everything with love. Not do some things with love. Not do most things with love. Do everything with love. Personally, I would prefer if he had said, do everything with love except when, except when I'm tired, except when they are in the wrong, except when they need to be taught a lesson, except when it's unfair. Do everything with love, period. Does that mean writing emails? Yep, 
Even when you're responding to that really nasty one, do everything with love. Does it include family discussions about what temperature the thermostat should be set at? Do everything with love. Does it include when someone hurts you? Do everything with love. Does it include conversations with people at your work, in your church, on your street, in your home, online, where you deeply disagree? Do everything with love. The truth is that it's very hard to do everything with love when we see things so differently from each other, when there are significant differences in our points of view, both in the small things and in the bigger, weightier issues too. So at this point, you may be saying, yes, yes, Melanie, God wants me to be a loving person. I know that. You are reminding me that love is the most important thing. Is that all you got this morning? So here's the main thing I want to talk about today, and that is how. How do we live lives of love? How do you become a person who loves well? How do you become a person with love as your primary core value? Because the truth is that just saying, go be loving, isn't necessarily that helpful. Saying, make love your highest goal, doesn't say how to do it. It doesn't say how to live that out. Well, how do we do it? How do we love well? What does it look like? It's, it's kind of like hiring someone for a job and saying, now just go be awesome. So let's talk about the path to loving well. First, accept God's love for you. I love the songs we sang this morning, the scripture that was read centering on the love of God for us. The Bible is absolutely clear from beginning to end that God is love and all love comes from God, that he's the source of it. In 1 John 4, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. Note that it doesn't say that God has love. It says that God is love. The reason why God wants you to love is because he is love. It is his character, his essence. If God didn't love, there would be no love in the universe. All love comes from him. The reason that you have the ability to love is because you were made in the image of of God. You were made in his image so that you could do these two things that you were put on earth to do. Learn to love God, learn to love other people. That's what it's all about. From 1 John 4:19, we love each other because he loved us first. God loved us first. God is always first in everything. He takes the initiative. He loved us first, and he showed that love by sending Jesus Christ for you. He showed that love by creating you. He showed that love by giving you all that you have in your life. It's all a gift of God's love. So we love because God loved us first. This is the first step. The first step is realizing how much God loves you, that he loves you with an extravagant, irresistible, unconditional love. 
from Ephesians 3.18, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. If we're going to talk about how to love well, you've got to first understand and feel how much God loves you. Because the day that you finally fully understand how God loves you completely and unconditionally, when you realize that you can't make God stop loving you, when you feel that unconditional love, you're going to start cutting people some slack. You're going to be more patient. You're going to be more forgiving. You're going to be more merciful. And you'll give out more grace to people. God's love changes us. God's love heals us. God's love transforms us and brings peace into the innermost parts of us, enabling us to live out that love to others. You can't love others if you don't feel loved yourself. You can't give to others what you haven't received yourself. You, you can't give to others what you don't possess. And here is the beautiful thing, friends. You can possess it. You can receive it. God's love is right here, right now, waiting for you to fully embrace it. Ephesians 3.19, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So first, accept God's love for you. And second, follow God's example. So think of a time you were trying to learn a new skill. Maybe you were learning to change the tires on your car. Maybe you were learning an instrument. Maybe you were learning to text on your phone so that you could text with your grandkids. Maybe you were learning to cook or shoot a hockey puck or speak a foreign language. So when you're learning to do something, what's helpful? What is helpful is learning to do it from someone who already does it well. They do it well, and you can follow their example. So you say, can you show me how to do that? Like, you do it well. How should I learn? Can you teach me? I mean, you could read a manual. You could download some instructions. But when someone shows you how to fold in egg whites or how to shoot a hockey puck, well, then it all starts to make sense. God loves perfectly. This means that he is our example. And so how does God love well? So here are six ways, briefly, that I see. And I'll just say up front, of course, he loves us in more than these six ways. And you're going to think of ways. And you can come to me afterwards and say, and he loves us like this. And I'll say, you're absolutely right. I would love to hear that. But here's just six, briefly, that we will look at this morning. And the first is acceptance. This may be the most fundamental need in the human heart acceptance. In the key relationships in your life, the question that your heart is asking is, do you accept me? Do you accept me as I am? The as I am part is the essential part. Do you accept me even though I'm not perfect? Do you accept me with my flaws? Do you accept me even though I do not have it all figured out yet? 
Do you accept me even before I've fixed those areas in my life that, well, I know I need to change? This is the first way that God has shown his love for you. He has shown his love for you by accepting you, by accepting you just as you are, by welcoming you just as you are. He knows you completely. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows things about you that you don't know and may never know, may never be aware of. And he says, I accept you. I want you. I welcome you. He says, I know you and I accept you. Let's start there. And so here's the question. Who in your life can you love well by accepting them? Who needs to know that you accept them even before they make any changes, even though they aren't perfect? Who needs to know that you accept them as they are? Because acceptance is a gift of love. Number two is attention. God pays attention to you. You are seen, you are known, you are important to him. God says, you are worthy of my attention. In Luke 2, this is Jesus' words, he says, what is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are numbered, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. If God does not forget a single, small little bird, then he doesn't forget you either. He sees you. He is paying attention to you. I mean, he knows the number of hairs on your head. Who even cares how many hairs are on my head? In fact, from what I see when I'm cleaning out the bathtub, like it's changing at a rapid rate. But the point is that God is noticing everything about you. He's paying attention to you, and he's paying attention to you because you are important to him. We love others well when we pay attention to them, and we can pay attention in some concrete ways. For example, we show attention when we focus on what another person is saying. We tune out everything else, and we listen. Have you ever been in a quote conversation where someone asks you a question, and then while you're answering it, they're obviously thinking about something else? Me too. We love well when we focus and we pay attention. We show attention when we remember what someone cares about, and then we ask about it. Okay, so here's a hard one in our day and age. We show attention when we put our phones away during a conversation. Enough said. Okay, how about this? We show attention when we remember the hard situation someone is going through, and then we call them to see how they're doing. When we pay attention to others, we communicate love. We communicate, you are seen, you are important, you are worthy of my attention. Attention is a gift of love. Third one is presence. According to a Canadian social survey, it was published by Stats Canada in November 2021. More than 10% of people aged 15 or older said that they were always or often lonely. And another 30% say they sometimes felt lonely. The survey also revealed that those who were frequently lonely reported poor mental health and lower levels of overall life satisfaction than those who were lonely less often. Well, 
the relationship between loneliness and mental health is not surprising because God made us for relationship. He wired us for community. I mean, we need to know that we're not alone. You need to know that as you navigate the ups and the downs and the good and the bad, that you are not in it by yourself. All through the Bible, God demonstrates that he is near, that he is present, he is close, he is with you. He is not distant. Of course, we celebrate this fact during the Christmas season. At Christmas, God said, you are not alone in the clearest possible way, in an unmistakable way. He came here. Jesus came to earth born as a baby. Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is present with you, and he always makes himself available to you. In Psalm 145, 18, it says, The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. So who in your life feels alone today? Who needs to know that they are not facing their battles by themselves? We show love to others when we come alongside them. When we communicate, you are not alone. I am available to you. Presence is a gift of love. Number four is kindness. Probably the Bible passage that's most used in weddings is 1 Corinthians 13. You could have never been in a church, never read a Bible, and still be familiar with these verses. We call it the love chapter. So in this passage, this is part of the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in the city of Corinth. And he wants to tell them how important love is. So he tells them, you can do all kinds of good things, but if you're not doing it out of love, it doesn't count. And then he attempts to explain what love is. He attempts to describe it, and he decides, I really need these people to get it. And so he starts to explain love, and what is the first thing that comes into his head and out of his mouth? Love is patient and kind. Patient and kind. Shoot. Patient and kind. So why does he start there? I think he starts there because being patient and kind is so hard to do. It's where we trip up the most. I mean, it's our human condition. It does not come naturally. Of course, it's easy to be patient and kind when things are sailing along the way that you'd like, when you're being treated well, when the stars are aligning in our favor. But what about when you get hurt? What about when people are getting in your way? What about when people are insensitive or unkind or unreasonable? So the first step, of course, is to remember God's kindness towards you. Here's a summary of how the Apostle Paul describes the kindness of God. He says, God loves you so much he took the initiative. He loves you so much he reached out for you. He opened the door for you. He waited for you even before you wanted him or even knew he was there. And he says then in Ephesians 2, 7, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, shown in that all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. 
God is full of kindness towards you. He is patient and kind. He is modeling the way of love. So, you think of one person or one situation that really grinds your gears. What would kindness look like in that situation? What is one specific way that you could respond with kindness this week? Because kindness is a gift of love. Number five is help. In Psalm 121, verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. God shows his love by helping us. I mean, I could do a whole message on the way that God, the ways that God helps us, but here's just a quick list. He gives us strength. He gives us wisdom to make good decisions. He gives us rest. He provides for our needs. He comforts us through difficult situations. He encourages us. He helps us to grow and change and become who we were made to be. He helps us. From Hebrews 4.16, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, for we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. God is your helper. He shows his love by helping you. He demonstrates that helping is an act of love. Helping isn't meeting every single need you see. It isn't fixing everything. I don't need to tell you that. But let me encourage you today that every small act is significant. Every helpful act matters. Every act of love makes a difference. That helping is a gift of love. And our sixth one, sacrifice. Sacrifice. Sacrifice is choosing what is best for another person when it costs you something. There is always a personal cost. It means that you give something up in order to put the other person first. Of course, Jesus was the ultimate example of this because Jesus knew what you needed most. He knew that what you need is a healed relationship with God, and so he gave something up, his life, and he put you first. John 15, 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Perfect love means sacrifice. Perfect love means choosing what is best for another person when it costs you something. It may cost money. It may cost time. It may cost your pride. It may mean not getting your own way. It may mean setting aside your preferences. But it always means letting go of something. Is there a situation in your life where loving well means sacrifice? Where you sense that you need to be willing to give something up in order to put another person first. I mean, this is the hardest of all. But this is what Jesus did for us. He modeled sacrifice. He gave us the example. Where might he be inviting you to follow his example and to let go of something for the good of someone else? Sacrifice is a gift of love. Okay, 
So at this point, this is all sounding like a lot of hard work. So let me just say that the object today is not to pile on. It is not to put a weight around your neck or make you feel bad because it could. I mean, we all struggle with this. I struggle with this. It's really challenging. And this 30-minute message could easily become 30 minutes of guilt. And of course, that's not my goal. So as we end, let me encourage you that to live a life of love, we first accept God's love, accept God's love for you, follow God's example, and third, celebrate the outcomes. Why does God want love to be your highest goal? I believe because of what the results will be and what the results will be for you. As you practice and you choose to act in love and celebrate the outcomes, notice them, celebrate the results, and I promise you that God is celebrating with you. Let me just name three outcomes to focus on today, super briefly. As you choose to love, you become more like Jesus. Every choice to love changes you. Every choice to love transforms your heart. You become more and more like Jesus. You become who you were made to be. Second, as you choose to love, you experience freedom. As you choose to love and practice these habits of love, you become less centered on yourself. And as you become less centered on yourself, you, you experience this growing freedom. Freedom from resentment. Freedom from bitterness. Freedom from needing to have your own way, of needing to be right. And a freedom to accept others and enjoy them just as they are. And third, as you choose to love, you find joy. So listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. I find this fascinating. It's just from John 15, 9 to 12. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. So listen to what Jesus is saying. He says, this is what I want you to do. Here is the one thing. Love each other in the same way that I've loved you. And why? Let's not miss this. Why? so that you will be filled with his joy. And not just a little joy. Your joy will overflow. It will be spilling over. This is what God wants for you. This is what God wants for me. To live a life of love, become like Jesus, and to experience a life spilling over with freedom and joy. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you today for your extravagant and unconditional love. Thank you for accepting us and welcoming us into your family. We're in awe that you pay attention to every detail of our lives. We're comforted by your presence with us and that you tell us that we are never alone. We're grateful for your immeasurable kindness and patience 
and that you help us and meet our needs. More than anything, Jesus, we thank you for making the ultimate sacrifice so that we can experience a relationship with God free of shame and full of life. Help us to live lives of love following your example. And we will celebrate the joy and the freedom that we experience as we become more and more like you in loving others. Lead us on this path, Jesus, we pray.